0: You're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Jeff Gibbard on with me. Jeff was formerly known as the world's most handsome social media and content marketing strategist. And you know, people can't see the video, but yeah, they're pretty accurate, I guess. Might might be a low bar, but you know. Um goes by another title though, and that is superhero. Jeff is the author of The Lovable Leader, a strategist, a professional speaker, and a founder of several companies, including Super Productive and the Superhero Institute. Jeff helps people to unlock their potential to grow revenues while making a positive impact on our world. Jeff is also the host of his own popular podcast called Shareable. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Wade. Glad to be here.
0: So the one thing I like to do to kind of get us started, and I, I do this for everybody so that the audience knows who they're talking to, is tell your story. How'd you, how'd you get here? Where are you going? All that good stuff.
1: Yeah. So I'd say there's probably two or three key elements to my story. Uh, one, I grew up absolutely loving superheroes. I was obsessed with Superman as a kid. And I think that set me on a path of trying to utilize my powers for good. I saw that as like, I I didn't even realize that there was another choice. I thought that was just what people did. Right. So that's kind of part one. Part two is that I grew up, you know, my kid who grew up in the eighties and uh, my dad was a funeral director. He had, uh, you know, gone to the Vietnam war and he came out and he decided to be a funeral director and um you know it was a union job he you know followed the old advice of get a good union job get married have kids you know climb the corporate ladder or you know do the do the job as long as you can get that re- that gold watch and retire right so i was encouraged to continually look for work that satisfied my soul because you know he told me I, I didn't want to get stuck burying dead people so uh you know there i was in the first primary influences you know aspiring to be a hu- uh, a superhero and then the second is to try and find work that I love. So basically my story is just variations of those themes popping up again and again, trying to find things that I would enjoy doing for work where I felt like I was making a positive impact in people's lives. And I'm 42 now, and it took me a very long time. I ran my own agency for seven years. Um, and the whole idea of that was I really believed that social media, this is funny in retrospect, I believe that it would bring us together and tear down uh, the differences between us and allow us to come together and build a better society. Uh, it turns out I was very, very wrong and very naive. Um, but that's what I tried to do for about, uh, seven years. I ran my own agency. I was acquired by a large agency. And now here I am, I wrote a book on leadership called the lovable leader. I'm a strategist. I'm a podcaster. I create a ton of content and, um, I'm just out there trying to make the world a better place in every possible facet of how I do things.
0: Excellent. You you know, it's, uh, it's so true. You know, I think social media was originally to bring us together and it's done quite the opposite. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, talk about the lovable leader. Talk about what, what's that all about?
1: Yeah, man. I, and I know you and I are very aligned on this. Um, you know, the idea of um, bringing different elements of kindness and respect and trust into work, uh, focusing on empathy and compassion is not kind of optional, but part of the whole game. Right. So I think I've been psychologically unemployable since... As long as I can remember, I just don't fit jobs. I don't like authority. I've always, I've had a lot of experiences with bad bosses, and I noticed that there was just a lot there about hierarchy and control and power, and um, not letting me be me and, and do the things that I did really well. So I've always had this sort of ongoing um, note that I've been updating in my head of what does bad leadership look like, and then what I guess the opposite of that would be good leadership. So starting to think about. What does is, what is my leadership philosophy sound like? But it wasn't until um, my wife and I were, she had just started managing people in, in this new role. And we were driving back from a vacation with friends. And she was asking me a bunch of questions about things that were going on with her at work. And I started giving her advice. And it was in the midst of that. I was like, oh my God, I think I have the outline for the book. And what really triggered it is that my wife is a very lovable person. Just, you know, those people that you meet in life, they're just like, they're sweet, they're kind, they're generous. They're, they just have like an energy about them where they're just lovable, right? Right. And I realized that that was kind of the missing crucial ingredient that I had seen that was separate from the, the bosses versus the leaders is like, what what made them different is that they cared about people, they had trust with people, and they created environments where there was the ability to pursue your goals in in safety. So that's when I came up with the, the pillars of lovable leadership, care, trust, and safe travels. And um, and I started working through those concepts. And it took me about five years to write the book uh, in in actual time uh, from, you know, the day I started to the day it it was published, but in terms of writing time, it actually only took 28 days. It just took me five years to do it.
0: Yeah. I always like to tell people my, my first book I've been working on for seven years. Yeah. But my second book, they actually got out.
1: (laughs) Ah, okay. Right on. (laughs) You just have it in the queue. It'll, one day you'll get there.
0: Someday. Yeah. Um, so, so, and of course that five years, did you find a pillar shifted at all?
1: I found that the outline shifted a bit. Um, there's a lot about the sequencing of how I told the narrative of what it is to be a lovable leader, what are the different um, categories. And I think part of that was, in the beginning, I had a lot of tactics. I think I had like you know 20 or 30 different tactics. And then over time, those started to kind of get grouped into broader ideas. So the outline shifted a lot over the course of those five years. But the core, I guess, underpinning of what it is, what what lovable leadership actually is. I don't think that ever changed. I think I just got better at, at speaking deliberately to what those things are. And I boiled it down to the care, trust, and safe travels. And that really encompasses all of the aspects of leadership as I see it from the more like businessy, you know, goal setting and, and strategy and, uh, you know, that sort of stuff to, you know, trust and care, which is more about the sort of, I hate to use the term, but soft skills, you know, the relationship building and, and how do you actually get people to be inspired and excited about what it is that they're doing. So I don't think that the, the core tenant changed, but maybe the outline uh, was was reflecting a lot of changes in, in how clearly I could communicate the idea.
0: Wow. Say more about the, the three pillars, care, trust, and safe travels. What are yeah, they-
1: sure. So, I mean, I think one of the Probably if I had to think about what came first out of all of those, now that I'm like thinking, I don't know if I ever thought about which came first, but I, your question made me think, like, well, how did that come about? I guess the first thing that hit me was care, right? Like, I just felt like business is such a cold and uncaring environment. And I think where that really struck me is when I graduated my MBA, I looked back on that entire experience and I realized, like, what did I learn in that whole experience? And not once did I get a sense that there was any interest in the people. It was all about like the numbers and the strategies. And it was all very like cold and standoffish. And what I realized that was missing for me in almost every job I had ever had was care. Was, did you care about me as a person? Or did you just care about me and being able to fulfill my job responsibilities and functions? So care probably is the first thing that came out of it. Because you can do all of the same things that you can do in any business. And when you add care as a fundamental ingredient into it, it shifts the color and the flavor and the experience for everybody. When you make that part of your leadership, you make it part of your team dynamics and your culture. Care just changes the nature of how you go about doing things, and you can have the same level of results or possibly even better because you have deeper connection. So care really came first, and it was um, you know caring caring about the work is one element of it. I think you know I, I had to figure out where this book went, and it was definitely partly a business book. So you obviously have to care about the work itself, the integrity of it, why you're doing it, all that stuff you have to care about each other and i think part of that as a leader is being willing to stand up for the people on your team from outsiders from each other and then even sometimes from themselves so you have to care about your people enough to know when they need you to step in and be the cheerleader for them when when inside they've got their detractor mhm yeah.
0: excellent what about the next one
1: well so So trust, I think, is the you know, without care, it's difficult to build trust. But I think trust is what allows you to not waste mental energy on trying to understand the motives or the reasons behind things. I think embedded in trust is the opportunity to just say what you need to say and have it come forward forthright and and without question. So um, there's a a model that I have in uh, the book, uh, in the section on trust, called Sitting on the Same Side of the Table. And it's a framework for having really remarkably effective conversations at work, yes, but also in any area of your life. And the idea is that you know when you're sitting across from someone, there's this sort of adversarial stance, right? You're looking in opposite directions. Where when you're sitting on the same side, you're looking in the same direction. So I think we trust people who care about us, who have our best intentions and our best ambitions in mind uh, on our behalf. And I think people who we know are honest enough that we don't we don't have to guess what's what's coming. There's a consistency to them that we have a relative certainty about what what the outcome of a thing is, right? And I think that that just takes away a lot of the additional wheel spinning where you're trying to figure out like, what's this person about? What are they trying to get out of me? But if you trust that they're really there for your best interest, they've listened to you, they understand what you're about, then you can go wholeheartedly and full force into being a part of their team and letting them lead because you know that they're thinking about what you're about. So I think trust is such a central and important element of leadership. I think without it, it's going to be really difficult to get people to go where you're trying to go.
0: So how does a leader build trust?
1: Well, I think the first thing you have to do is you really have to understand the other person. I mean, uh, there's a really great book I always recommend that was really instrumental for me in understanding the concept of trust, and it's called The Code of Trust, and it's by Robin Dreek. Phenomenal book. And so much of the the sitting on the same side of the table framework is derivative of, of his work but you really have to make it all about the other person, right? Like we don't trust people who we have to question their intentions. But if, if every time you and I were having a conversation, let's say, and and I wanted to know what you wanted to accomplish and I want to know what you were about, and I always made it about you. And then I, and then I came through on that. I fulfilled on that, right? Like you came to expect that when I said I was going to do something, I did it. And when I, when you looked at what my, my, um, like what my goals are and what, what was important to me. And then you looked at that and you said, it's actually all about you. You would come to trust me more, right? And trust is not a tactic. Trust is, is, an, is a fundamental sort of like structural underpinning of human relationships. So I think a leader that puts that as a, a you know a really important element of how they interact with their team is going to have more success as, as they go through it. So how you build is you first have to start by putting the emphasis on the other person, really listen to them, seek to deeply understand them, really ask a lot of those questions so you are sure that you understand that other person. And then, and only then, I think, can you align your goals with theirs? Because if if you tell me what you want to do, and then I ask you to do something that's completely counter to what your goals are, are you going to trust me? No, because I just took all that time from you, asked you all these questions, and then I didn't even listen or care about what your thing was. I said, well, instead, we're going to go right when you said left. So um, I think that's the point where trust begins to develop is, when you make it about the other person and you follow through on what they expected that you were going to do with that information.
0: So, you know, there's something that just grabbed me in the midst of all that. And, and so often, you know, the question is kind of framed as, how do I get my team to trust me? Yeah. The reality is, it's how do you get each individual on a team to trust? It's mm-hmm. sure, an individual equation that starts with empathy and understanding of the person.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and I would I would say that, Um, you know, in in the book, I talk a lot about that trust isn't just about between the leader and the people on the team, right? It's also about each person on the team. Like we have to create an environment of trust. It has to be part of the fabric that holds the team together, whether that's you know the you know lowest person on the totem pole to the the top person on the totem pole or or across the entire fabric the entire mesh of the organization or the mesh of the team there needs to be trust so that you don't have to waste a lot of time getting into why you should or should not trust someone's words or intentions if you have that there as sort of the substrate things can then grow you know it's sort of the fertile soil of of your your garden of leadership so to speak so you need that that trust there
0: yeah, yeah absolutely and yeah, you know, a podcast I did a few weeks ago. You know, we brought the point. There is actually many eyes in team.
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the key is that you don't focus on your own eye. You focus on everybody else's eyes, right. and if everybody does that, then all of a sudden you've got an environment where there's a lot more trust. And you know, it's obviously a little more complex than that, but um, to at its core, it is about focusing on the other person, following through on what you say you're going to do, and creating a situation where people's expectations are consistently met so they don't have to call into question whether or not they will be.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And what about safe travels?
1: So safe travels is probably my favorite on the list just for the the simple fact that I think it's probably the most clever of the three in terms (laughs) of the naming of it because I had to try and figure out a way to keep the framework simple, but I also had to figure out a way to include all of the critical elements. So at a certain point, it was actually four. It was actually... Uh, care, trust, goal setting, and safety. Mm-hmm. But what I realized was is that goal setting and safety actually were kind of part of there are two sides of the same coin right So what safe travels meant to me was it's not enough let's say I wanted to uh, you and I were going to take a flight from New York to Los Angeles. It's not enough to know that we're going to Los Angeles. It's actually really important to know that at 30,000 feet, those doors are going to stay closed, that the wings are going to remain on the plane, that the engine is going to keep going. The goal is not just to set a destination. It's to ensure that we all get there safely. That's as important to the the function and the, the importance as a leader of setting goals is to make sure that people know that they're going to be safe on the way to getting there. So you can't actually expect out of people great things. You can't expect Ambition, drive, uh, going above and beyond. You can't expect any of that if you don't create an environment of safety. And I mean safety for literally everyone on the team. And that means it's important that everybody on the team commits to these elements of safety. So part of your job as a leader is not just to create an environment of safety through your own actions, but to ensure that the people that you choose to go on the journey towards your extraordinary goals are also committed to that same vision of safety, that you are ensuring that each of them is protecting each of the others from outsiders, from themselves, like there needs to be safety at all levels of the team. So I created in the the book, a thing called the eight commitments of the team. And I won't run through those, but um, there's just a lot of elements that are really important. Things like committing to alignment, things like committing to uh, effective communication, diversity, equity, and inclusion, things like this are all elements of safety to show that I'm able, whoever I am on this team to show up and bring my full self to it. And if you have that, well then you can actually encourage people to go towards this big and ambitious goal you can say it's okay to make mistakes because you're safe here it's okay to be yourself and bring your own unique ideas and and not toe the party line or you know fear break this breaking the status quo you can actually be creative you can do that cuz we've created the safety for you to do that so it's the it's the space that gives people the ability to play and actually have fun and when you have the ability for people to have fun on their way to these big goals you have a much higher likelihood that they're going to get there
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting. You know, safety is, it's not a top-down thing. It's a 360 degree thing. Yes. And, uh, you know, and I see this, I, you know, I just recently did a a survey or study on uh, stress levels of organizations. And when it came down to feeling safe, the commentary wasn't around my manager doesn't make me feel safe. They were nervous about stepping in other teams, whether it be peers, um, people in other departments,
1: or maybe even subordinates. So yeah, yeah, and it's such an interesting point too, because it's sort of like they they may not be directing that concern towards their manager or their leader, but if the organization, if the other people on their team are making them feel unsafe, that they're they don't feel like they can have open, candid conversations, kind, direct, honest, thoughtful conversations. Then that is to a certain extent. I would put that on the leadership and on the management to create that environment. And I, and I think it's also difficult because we are also we are also all keenly aware of things like layoffs, things like you know um, uh, stock buybacks, and all of the different shady things that are that happen uh, in corporate environments that are not necessarily the control of your manager, but they're things that make you feel less safe at work. You're not exactly sure if you know, when the company says everything is fine, that it actually is. So I think there's just a lot of different levels to creating safety. And I think there are some that are more in control than, than others. And I think as a leader, the things that are most in your control are your behavior and your immediate team and how you protect and create a certain type of culture on that team where safety is allowed to flourish and thrive.
0: Yeah. It's a, uh, it really is all about creating a culture, right?
1: Yeah. Culture and leadership—I used to think of them as um, separate categories. Like when I, like I'm, I, on my blog, I talk about leadership, I talk about culture, and I had them as two separate uh, categories. But more and more, I tend to think of them as almost the exact same thing. Like your leadership helps to define your culture, and your culture helps to bring out a certain type of leader. So they're so intimately linked together that I know sometimes you are kind of talking about one thing or another, but I feel like they're always in the background of one another. That you're. Your leadership is always going to be tied to your culture, and then vice versa.
0: Yeah, it's uh, they really are intertwined. Yeah. So, so you kind of started, or one of the things that you started this process with was the question of um, what does a bad leader look like? Yeah. So, so what does a bad leader look like?
1: So, the original version of the book, uh, I had an entire chapter on bad bosses. It was like an entire. It was. It was a little bit of like a a rant of sorts. It was very early in the process of writing. And I I used to work in restaurants and um, I was a, a server, a bartender. I did a bunch of different things. And I, I just kind of thought to myself about this thing that I would call restaurant manager syndrome. And it was a thing that I noticed in restaurant across restaurant across restaurant is that, you know, and, and this is the call for like why we need actual legitimate leadership training. If you're going to be in a leadership role, managing people, like you need to be trained. It's not just like, a, oh, they were good at that thing. We'll just, and what happened was I noticed that most of these restaurant managers that I had worked with were really good servers or really good bartenders. So the thinking goes, they were like, hey, we should let this person manage. Well, it's like, no, it's a huge mistake. Just because this person could make drinks really well, doesn't mean that they're actually capable of managing different personalities and schedules and you know uh, conversations about you know different shifts that people get on and making sure it's spread equitably. Like, no, they're not qualified for that. So I, I identified a number of characteristics that came out of it. One, mountains out of molehills. Um, so I found that bad bosses more often than not would find any excuse to take a small thing, blow it up into some bigger thing so that they could flex their authority on you and show you that they they had the keys. They had the power to remove your shift. They had the power to remove your salary. They they had the power, right? And I think anytime you're working in an environment where fear is the primary thing that people lean on uh, as as their mode of management, you're dealing with a boss situation. A boss is concerned with themselves, their hierarchy, their power, and they want to tell you what needs to be done. So that was a big thing I found was a bad boss characteristic. Another thing was that they were always afraid to get their hands dirty you know, you, you know, again, in a restaurant, I would look at it this way, you know, you, you'd be running around, you got seven, eight tables that you're working on, you know, you're hustling, you're in the groove of things and they're standing there by the side of the bar. And then they would just point to you and say like, oh, you know, table eight needs more water. And it's like, bro, you're just standing there. Why don't you pick up the pitcher of water and go help us out? So if you're a leader, you have to be, and you want to earn trust with people, right? You have to show that you're willing to get in there and do things that need to be done. Sometimes, uh, you know, in sports, you have the, 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 Player who will take the entire team and put it on its back and like, well, we're gonna go. We're going to the promise land together, right? But in a bad boss situation, you have someone who's more concerned with the policies, the roles, the responsibilities than they are with actually the team's success. So I think putting themselves above team and uh and literally putting themselves above by way of the hierarchy, uh, by not getting themselves dirty because it's, you know, that's below their pay grade. I think that's another key indicator that you're dealing with somebody who's a boss and not a real leader. So there's just a couple of them. Yeah,
0: excellent. Excellent. So how do you become a lovable leader? Say you buy into this, how how do you actually make that transition?
1: So I think lovable leader is is sort of like the distinction between best and better. Uh, And that best is sort of a finality, whereas better is a process. And I tend to think of the lovable leader as more of somebody who's committed to the journey of lovable leadership. And that is that you make care, trust, and safety uh, on the way to big goals as your sort of driving forces, right? That you are going to make sure that that is the way that you lead. On top of that, I think um, you have to master certain skills. Um, you know, one that I uh, I brought up earlier, but I think is such a critical skill is sitting on the same side of the table, and that is part of a larger conversation around effective communication. You know, effective communication needs to inform people, it needs to influence people, um, and it needs to inspire people. So it needs to kind of hit on those those big. Um, Those those three kind of big categories, right? So as you get better at uh, having effective conversations, you get better at leadership because you're more clear with what you're saying. You're more um, influential in people's willingness to to take that next step. And at the same time, you get people believing in bigger and bigger ideas and, and bigger aspirations, right? So sitting on the same side of the table is just a framework that you can use to have conflict resolution conversations, to have course correction conversations, to have conversations around these big goals that you want to set. So I tend to think of it as uh, the lovable leader has to commit to a certain way of running a team and and being a part of the team. That you are not above the team, you are on the team. You are willing to step and get your hands dirty. You commit to your own growth in service of the team and the people that you serve on that team. Um, and really, you you know, again, you just try to put kindness, respect, and trust at the center of how you operate. Even if you need to, for instance, fire someone. The way a lovable leader would fire someone is very different than the way a lot of leaders currently would fire people, right? So if you care enough to hire that person, you should care enough to care about them when you fire that person. Are you going to make recommendations for them? I mean, I'm not talking about like gross misconduct, like somebody who tries to burn the building down or something. I'm talking about like someone has to, they weren't a good fit, whatever. Don't harm that person on the way out. Think about how you can actually care for that person in the same way on their way out as you did on their way in. Can you write a LinkedIn recommendation for them? Can you make introductions for them? Can you help them update their resume? Can you run them through mock interview simulations? Like, can you give them a good exit package? Like, what are the sort of things that you can do that are in your control that allow you to continually exhibit care, trust, and safe travels?
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's two parts to that. You know, there's, um, there's the do it, to have the care, trust, safe travels, and there's the exhibit it.
1: Yes. Right? Yes.
0: So making sure that it's visible, that people understand it, know it. And I love what you said about treating a salmon a way out, and he did it in a way in. Yeah. And so, so often the highlight of the relationship is on a way in. Yeah. Yeah. 100
1: I mean. percent true. And I will also say though is that you know mm-hmm. this path is not easy. Uh, I I like to say leadership has the three lenses of leadership are it is your privilege. be a leader. It is your responsibility to be a leader. And it is your burden to be a leader. It is all three of those things. If you feel the calling to lead in one way or another, and you don't have to be like a vice president to lead, like you could be a leader in any role that you're in, Uh, you know, spoiler alert to my upcoming book, it's going to be about role-based leaders, leaders in any role. But um, if you feel the call to lead, then you know, it's kind of your responsibility because you, you feel that calling, right? And if you do get a chance to be a leader, that's a privilege. People are going to look to you. They're going to pay you deference. They're going to give you the opportunity to set agendas. But at the same time, leadership is really hard. You're going to have to have the difficult conversations. You're going to have to go first. You're going to have to swallow your ego. You're going to have to do all these things that are, quite frankly, a burden. They are not fun. right? So I think walking the path of the lovable leader is signing up for all three of those lenses, but it's committing to it for the sake of creating better places of work, creating better environments in your communities or in your volunteer groups, or your churches, or wherever you are. If you can exhibit this sort of leadership, we create a kinder, safer, and more equitable world. And that's what I'm about. That's why I wrote the book in the first place. I don't care if it sells a billion copies or if it sells 10, but I want everyone that can be in a new leadership role, new mentorship role, manager role to, to really read it and internalize it. So hopefully we can start to shift the culture towards one that's more caring.
0: Yeah, I love that, you know, because once you shift the culture in the workplace, culture starts shifting everywhere else.
1: Exactly, exactly. Business is a great place to start trying to shift the culture globally.
0: Yep, absolutely. So one more question before I let you get out of here. Sure. That is, uh, how do people find you?
1: So I'm easy enough to find. And uh, because I do so many different things, I used to at this stage in any podcast list off like 45 different URLs. Well, if you want to see me do this, but I actually just decided to consolidate it all into a single... Menu-based URL. If you just go to jgibbard.com, that actually provides links to all of my stuff. So if you want to see the stuff I'm doing professionally, you want to see the stuff I'm doing non-professionally, uh, you want to see the stuff that I'm doing their side projects, my products, my free stuff, like whatever you want, my content, all that can be accessed from this this single menu. It'll kind of take you through uh, sort of a decision tree of finding all my different stuff. So jgibbard.com is the easiest place you can connect with me. You can find anything that I'm working on. Uh, I keep it pretty up to date, pretty regularly. Um, and that's probably the best place to find everything.
0: All right. Excellent. Well, appreciate you having me on today. I think you and I are very much aligned and, uh, I think it's a great message to spread.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I looked into you and I was like, oh man, we're going to, me and Wade, we're going to be, we're going to be very aligned.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: And thank you for listening to the AIM Twin podcast. As always follow us, like us, all that good stuff on wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts until next time, go and make it happen.